This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Military families know the drill. They know what it means to pack up and move to a different installation, a new house, a new life, often with very little notice. A lot of resources out there for military families focus on moving checklists and how-tos for all types of families and relocations. For parents, however, it's the school transition for their children that can make a permanent change of station, a PCS, especially daunting. Indeed, changing schools, educational disruption, is regularly identified by military families as one of the most difficult parts of moving. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about military children and education and all of the issues that they face with the many disruptions that they have, dealing with a parent who's been deployed, the behavioral issues that that can cause, the academic issues that that can cause, and we're going to be speaking with an organization that focuses on education issues for military children. So if you've got a military child, and if you're listening to the show, there's a pretty good chance that you do, you're not going to want to miss this show. So grab something to write with and get ready to learn. Today's show is brought to you thanks to Navy Federal Credit Union, which is proud to serve the Armed Forces veterans and their families. And if you're a member of the Armed Forces or the Department of Defense, they would be proud to serve you, too. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Armin Brott. We'll be right back. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Cindy Simmerly, who's the Vice President for Fund Development for the Military Child Education Coalition, which we're going to be calling MSEC throughout most of the show. Cindy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about what MSEC is about and what the overall mission is, and then we'll get into some of the great specifics. Great. Um, Well, Our mission is to ensure that every military and veteran-connected child has access to the best education and educational opportunities available. And we do that uh, by coming at the the issues that are very familiar to military families. Uh, Transition and separation are two of the biggest issues uh, that can impact a student's educational career. And we we come at those uh, challenges uh, through a variety of ways. One, uh, through programs for the students themselves. We have student-to-student programs that operate at the elementary, middle, and high school levels. And through parent programs, we have parent-to-parent teams across the country. And uh, they host workshops on all kinds of topics that are relevant to parents whose children are between the ages of birth and 23 years of age. Um, We work with professionals, 
school administrators, educators, um, mental health professionals uh, by providing professional development on a variety of topics that are relevant to our military students. And then we work at the local, state, and national levels on policy uh, that impacts our students and their families with regard specifically to their education. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. All having to do with education. And, and when you're talking about yeah. transitions and, and separation, is that including the many, many transfers that they're going through? I just was talking with somebody who's got an eighth grader who was in nine different schools. That is a lot of transitions. It, it certainly is. Our research has shown, and I think the Department of Defense uh, research has also uh, demonstrated that, that military families move um, six to nine times during their students' K through 12 education. And so I, I'm not sure, John, if you've ever been the new kid, um, but imagine being the new kid nine times. <laughs> that's, that's a challenge. And what our programs and services do um, is really try to provide supports where we see um, critical needs, um, and by working with educators themselves or school administrators and also local community leadership, military leaders, um, we build that coalition around our students and provide the support that they need uh, for academic success. Are the issues different in military schools or versus civilian schools? I mean, I would imagine that in military schools, the teachers are certainly better prepared to deal with the issues that are facing the kids than they are in civilian schools. But other than that, there still are the many transitions and being the new kid and coming in and out and, and uh, lack sure. of permanence. Yes. And in fact, um, many of the challenges are the same. You know, we, we like to say that military kids are just kids. Um, and so a lot of the issues uh, would be the same for any other student who moves frequently. Um, so those transition issues would look very similar, and in fact, that's why the uh, professional development we offer is so relevant for um, populations of students who are mobile, highly mobile, not just military students. But of course, you know, we do focus on that. That's our mission, so we focus on them, but it certainly benefits all mobile children. Um, one thing I'd like to mention is that you know, when we're talking about issues facing military students, uh, the student programs that we run really offer, they're, they're designed to work with uh, non-military and military-connected students. So they focus on issues like 100% acceptance, and they have anti-bullying platforms and, um, you know, want to create a welcoming atmosphere for all new students not just military students. In that way, they serve a greater portion of the school's population and um, involve, you know, they build a bridge between the military-connected students and their, their non-military classmates. Yeah, I mean, that, that's such a big issue is, I mean, bullying things that are certainly universal to students. But I would imagine that military kids are dealing with, I mean, even though they are just kids, they're dealing with some unique issues. I mean, the, because of the, 
the way that the families are spread out and because kids are, are, well, there are a lot fewer military families than there used to be even just 20 or 30 years ago. So it's, there might be the, the only military kid in the entire school and kids are, are not known for their kindness sometimes to children who are different. Uh, you know, and, and if, if you happen to be in, on, on the West Coast or the East Coast or a, a place that tends to be a little bit more, more blue state to have a, a military kid, you know, that just the, the kinds of things people hear, or they hear from their parents and, and it gets taken out. And so to have that sort of, of training on a professional level seems very important about the, the talking about tolerance and the importance of recognizing other, other kids and differences of opinion uh, is very, very valuable. You're absolutely right. And our military students are differentiated by some aspects of the military lifestyle they lead, uh, some of which you, you just mentioned. Um, and we found that the tenets of the program, which, by the way, also focuses on uh, peer leadership and mentorship, um, we found that you know they support not only our students in their their academic pursuits, but but also their counterparts that I talked about earlier. But you are absolutely right in that uh, the lifestyle itself has some challenges that are inherent in the frequent move, the the number of separations from the parent who is serving, and the length of time that those separations um, involve. And so those are all issues we like to address in that multi-pronged approach to mm -hmm. providing a community of support for right. our military kids. And what else are you doing on the professional level? I, I want to get to the families in a little bit, but on, on the professional level, in schools, particularly, the, again, the civilian schools where to, for the teachers to, to understand that there are certain types of, of behaviors that a child with a deployed parent or parents may experience. They may be acting out more. They may have more trouble focusing or, or some, that, that type of thing, the behavioral issues, the academic issues, the focus kind of things, so that, that, to recognize those and not assume that a child that they may not know anything about is just slacking off. Or acting out. Or, or right, um, or... or, or yeah, exactly. Sure. And so our the, the trainings that we provide, which, by the way, involve CEU credits, so they're all accredited, uh, but they touch on all those topics, and they the, their trainings are conducted by uh, professionals, certified professionals themselves. Um, and so we tackle topics. Uh, and, and again, they're, they're relevant for non-military students, so that's helpful for the educators who attend. Um, also, we get health professionals, mental health professionals, and youth-serving uh, professionals as well. But, you know, they look at everything from uh, one, one course, for example, of helping um, students find their spark, their strengths, their potential, mm -hmm. their aspirations. Right. Um, and so you can see that that would be applicable to any student. But it, it especially, you know, when you think about a highly mobile military student, um, it, it helps when they're going from school to school, community to community, um, to identify something that they are specifically interested in. Um, sometimes that's, you know, very often what we see is extracurricular activities. 
are very important to our students because it's a way that they establish ties quickly doing something they're passionate about. And so uh, we, we work with educators and others to help those students identify what that is and then make it easy for them to, to come into a new school community and identify you know, who's connected to those programs and how they could seamlessly get involved and put down uh, roots in a, in a meaningful and quick way. Um, what we found is that if, if our students, if, if the military students go into a new school, school community and feel like they're accepted, feel welcome, mm-hmm. well, that is going to make them, I mean, that atmosphere creates a much greater likelihood that they will succeed academically. Talking that sense of belonging and feeling a part of the community or, or seeing that they will become part of a community. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Cynthia Simmerly, who's the Vice President for Fund Development for the Military Child Educational Coalition, also called MSEC. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Cynthia. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called hands-only CPR, and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life. For more information on this latest method of CPR, visit handsonlycpr.org today. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Cynthia Simmerly, who's the Vice President for Fund Development of the Military Child Education Coalition. And we've been talking so far about professional development, but I want to spend some time talking about what it is that parents can do to, first of all, connect with MSEC, and then, well, let's just talk about that first. How, how do parents connect with MSEC, either whether they, whether they feel that their child needs some resources or they need something? Well, that's a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. Um, I'd like to give our website, which is www.militarychild.org, and we have a number of free resources on the website, uh, downloadable uh, materials. We also have a host of educational videos um, on a variety of topics that are specifically relevant to parents. Topics such as how can I tell if my child is performing at grade level? Um, you know, it, I mean, there are a number of tools and resources on our website that are completely free to parents. And I would really encourage your listeners um, to check out the website for those resources. Okay. And so that would be for, for parents who are saying, boy, my kid needs something, or for parents who are saying, wow, I need something. I have no idea what how I'm supposed to deal with this. And, you know, really, it would be either scenario. Right. That, that's so what I'm saying. Yeah. There, yes. So um, there, there are resources specifically. You know, sometimes parents um, are looking for resources because they have a, a particular issue that their child is struggling with or that they 
uh, would like some some reinforcements on. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, give, give us an example of what that might be. What would be a, a, a typical well, earlier, issue the parent would have? Uh, well, earlier, for example, um, I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of talk about a, a student performing at grade level. But parents, what does that really mean to a parent? And we've gone to a host of uh, professionals to, to ask, you know, what can what can a parent do to ascertain how their child is performing outside, of course, the standard, you know, the, the testing uh, that is offered in, in each state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we provide resources along those lines. That's just one topic. Uh, we also look at, um, for example, we think that parents are a child's first and best advocate. They are their, their, their own child's best advocate. And so we give them examples of things they can do. Uh, let's say, what, what should you ask during a parent-teacher con- uh, conference? That's something simple. But very often, I mean, I'm a parent of two military students myself, <laughs> and it never occurred to me to have a list of questions that would be a helpful guide for a discussion with my child's teacher. And mm-hmm. we have that list right on our website. Um, we have resources. When you're, we, we call a move in the military, we call that a PCS, a permanent change of station. And so when you're about to PCS, uh, we have a great guide for creating, you know, get any old box and assemble these resources or these materials to make your, your move easier with your student going into the new school. Um, suggestions like take a take a quick photo of your child's textbooks, the covers of their textbooks, so you know exactly which book and which edition your student has been using in, in the location you're leaving. And um, that leads me to, to talk about something else that we see as an issue, which is, you know, the, the high mobility um, impacts where your student is in the course of its of your student's curriculum uh, from one location to another. So, for example, math is particularly challenging because sequentially a student may have gotten certain, you know, to a certain point um, in one course and then move to a new location and struggle, be perhaps be behind or even ahead of the class. So. Um, information such as that is really helpful for a parent when they're trying to negotiate these, these mm-hmm. waterways. Yeah, as well as information, again, as you talked about being whether you're, you're lagging behind academically or just to find out where kids need to be, which is an important thing. And I think a lot of parents, we, we just lose track of that. We already did the seventh grade, plus kids seem to be much farther ahead than we were when we were their age anyway. So it's it's hard to keep up with, with where they're supposed to be. And It is, uh, and also, also there's uh, the, you know, the, the nomenclature. Of, uh, one course in, you know, a particular state will not necessarily have the exact same name or parameters, you know, as the the sequential course in the, the gaming state. So, you, you know, parents have to um, work hard and do their homework and ask a lot of questions uh, to mm-hmm. make sure that their student is, you know, is, is always 
challenged, but is also supported in that process. Right. And also recognizing symptoms of behavioral issues or issues that might indicate that there's some sort of a problem that has nothing to do with academics, but has to do with perhaps the, the multiple duty station changes or the deployment of a spouse or the return of, I mean, deployment of a parent or the return of a parent uh, or something like that. I mean, to, it, it's sometimes hard with as many extracurricular activities as kids have and as much time as you spend on devices to connect with them in that sort of way, but we need to be able to recognize those symptoms. You're absolutely right. And, you know, again, when we talk about children are children and and they can be struggling with things academically or personally, whether they're military or non-military children. And that's why we really do focus on the importance of parents being engaged with their students and with their children. Uh, I think there's no substitute for that, but we certainly do try to provide some insight into uh, the questions they can ask their their child's teachers or school administrators just to soften some of those uh, challenges as they move from one duty station to the next. Yeah. Uh, What do you want to spend a little time with you, Cynthia, uh, talking about the peer-to-peer stuff and the things that the students themselves may find resources on the site as well? Uh, What's that about, the the peer-to-peer? So we call our programs for students uh, student to student, and that at the at the elementary school level, it's E S to S. We just abbreviate it, you know, like all branches of the military, we have our own acronym. <laughs> Has to be, yeah. So, so uh, the E S to S at the elementary school level is really um, uh, teacher centric. I mean, the teacher is the leader of the group because obviously the the child's age and developmental stage um, would require that. Uh, But that's where we we start really with the the basic uh, tenets of of the student-to-student program, which is encouraging 100% acceptance, creating a climate and a culture that is welcoming and encouraging in general, Um, And also there's an element, even at that early stage of community service, that program is continued into middle school where we have junior student-to-student or JS2S. The the teacher is still sort of the the program coordinator, if you will, and it functions much like a club, Uh, but the students start to take leadership roles and help plan and plan their activities, their community service. And then at the high school level, it is completely student-led, student-centric. Um, that's our student-to-student or S2S program. And the all of the uh, students who participate in that are eligible to apply for Um, one of our leadership programs, we have two per year. One is held at West Point in the fall, and then one is held at the Air Force Academy um, in the spring. And there, the students who are selected interact with cadets at those service academies, and they learn about, I mean, it's very hands-on, very involved, um, learning about leadership as a practice about personal ethics and 
Um, it really gives our students the opportunity to learn from young leaders um, and take those skills and lessons back to their school communities and strengthen their own student-to-student program. Wow, and that's for high school students. It is. Mm-hmm. Wow, that just sounds absolutely amazing. I've been talking with uh, Cynthia Simmerly, who's the vice president of fund development for the Military Child Educational Coalition, and the website again is militarychild.org, and you can find out a ton of stuff there, whether you're a parent or a student or somebody who is a, a teacher in a, a civilian school who needs to know a lot about this about these things. Uh, Cindy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for this opportunity. There once was a boy wizard whose name was Larry Smarter. Larry, why weren't you in Professor Dinky Doodle's mythical creature classification class? Well, I'm taking Algebra 2 in a foreign language. Oh, so you can talk to unicorns? <laughs> uh, exactly. Unless they're French. Larry wanted to go to college, so he visited knowhowtogo.org to find the classes he really needed. Getting into college doesn't happen magically. Learn more at knowhowtogo.org. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. And what better way to start off a new year or just hang out with friends and family than by learning about art, science, and building? Let's start with the Just Add Milk Science and Art Kit from Gridley Games. While it's definitely possible to do some of the experiments in this kit by adding nothing more than milk, if you want to do them all, you'll need a few other items from your cupboard, including glue, a bottle of cola, white vinegar, and baking soda. Once you've got all your ingredients together, you're ready to start learning about the science of art, or is it the art of science? You'll experiment with natural reactions, such as what happens when you drop food coloring into milk and then add a drop of soap. And you'll watch how colors explode, and you'll create tie-dye type designs that you can turn into mouse pads and other real works of art. Cost under $16 is for ages 5 and up. Adult supervision is recommended. More information at Gridley Games. Just Add Glue from Gridley Games. Like Just Add Milk, this clever science kit comes with almost everything you need to perform a variety of artistic science experiments. The focus of this chemistry-based kit is on liquids and polymers and creating putty that you can poke, roll, bounce, squish, and sculpt into a variety of objects and craft projects, including crystals and window clings. Just Add Glue will truly stretch your imagination. Under $25 is for ages 6 and up. Adult supervision is highly recommended. Forensic Science from Little Passports. This is part of their Science Expeditions subscription service. Thanks to those CSI TV shows, just about everyone knows, or thinks they do, about forensic science. But there's a lot more to it than solving murders and catching bad guys, which real CSI tooks don't do anyway. Using the ingredients in this kit, plus a few additional items from home, you and your young CSI sleuths will learn about fingerprints, handwriting analysis, and spatter science. That's looking at drops of liquid to determine how high they were dropped from and whether and how fast the person who dropped them was moving. But best of all, you'll actually be able to extract DNA, which you can see and touch, 
from a vegetable or a piece of fruit. It's fascinating, engaging, and wonderfully educational. Prices vary. It's for about ages 9 and up at littlepassports.com. Straw Bees Inventor Kit from Straw Bees. Straw Bees isn't just another building system. Straw Bees are special connectors that let you connect straws and cardboard to build anything you can think of, from a pixie to a robot. But in our view, what makes Straw Bees so unique is that they've created engaging, challenging projects for a variety of age groups, from kindergarten through teens. The company is also focused on the education market and has lesson plans and activities designed to teach a variety of STEAM topics, using strawberries, of course, in the classroom. The Inventor Kit is their mid-range product. There are smaller and larger kits available. All include straw bees connectors, straws, and instructions for how to build a dazzling array of structures. Prices start from $30 and go up all the way to $100. For ages 5 and up, strawbees.com. Space Racers from Lawrence King. Space Racers contain everything you need to press out and make sturdy paper models of 10 rockets. Eight of them are historically accurate and range from the earliest rockets to the futuristic. Two are imaginary. In addition to the instructions, there's a separate fact-filled booklet by Isabel Thomas that explores rocket science and space exploration. If you're fascinated by space, rocket ships, and the science that makes it all possible, you'll love this kit. Cost under 19 bucks for ages 7 and up. More information at lawrenceking.com US. You can get a lot of information about toys, games, and other activities to do with your family at our website, parentsatplay.com. We'll be back next week with another segment for you, but don't go yet because there's a lot more of this Positive Parenting Show coming right up. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. The challenger wears white trunks with a blue stripe, and the champ is wearing, uh, looks like an examination gown from the doctor's office. And from the back, we can... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the crazy getup? I've got to take care of my family. Yeah, so? Well, when you love your family, you got to go in and get those important medical screenings. A lot of potentially deadly diseases can be treated if you catch them in time. So you wear the examination gown because... Because I'm a real man. Real men take care of their families and get those tests. Real men wear gowns. Okay, champ. Good luck. Here we go. <laughs> the champ's not wasting any time. <laughs> it's over. This fight is over. Champ, you barely broke a sweat. Any words for your fans out there? Remember, go to ahrq.gov for a list of the tests they need to get and when to get them. What was that web address again? ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey there, this is the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. All parents want our kids to succeed, to do their best, and to be their best. But 
Many have bought into the idea that the path to success is so narrow and admission to a top college so important that they can't afford to let their kids make meaningful choices or manage stressful situations on their own. The result is a generation of kids who feel like imposters, who lack motivation, and who often unravel in their freshman year of college. Since 2005, depression in adolescence has risen 37% and suicide has become the second leading cause of death among college-age kids. What is going on? Well, in this part of today's show, we're going to be answering that question with a guest who believes that we are raising our kids in a brain-toxic culture where chronic stress and sleep deprivation are taking a terrible toll during the formative years when kids are sculpting the brains that they're supposed to be using for the rest of their lives. The solution is to give kids more control over their lives and not less. Having a healthy sense of control contributes to positive outcomes in virtually all aspects of life, and it's key to learning, mental health, and drive. We'll start talking about how to give our kids more control over their lives when positive parenting continues right after this. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle, he's not here yet, man. He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Ned Johnson, who's the co-author of The Self-Driven Child, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. Ned, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about this this idea of control. I think you guys make a very interesting point in the, the beginning of the book, and I made this in the introduction, that... It, it's there's a, a kind of a cost benefit analysis that a lot of parents make, and they say, "Look, it's it's life is so difficult for kids these days, and there's so many pressures on them, and we can't afford to have them making essentially stupid mistakes. So we're going to make all their, dis- their their decisions for them." And the the intention there is good, that we're going to try to make their life easier. But what you're saying is that what happens is we get the exact opposite of that. That by removing their ability to make decisions and presumably fail, that they're losing control of their lives completely, which has all sorts of negative impacts that we're going to be talking about for the next half hour. Right, right, right. I mean, I mean, everything the parents are doing, we assume, is, is out of love and, and concern and, and, a, and a, a interest looking far down the road for their kids' future happiness and success. But the position that Bill and I take on this is that the most valuable thing that we can do as parents and the most important work that kids, especially teens, can do is to develop healthy brains that are intrinsically motivated and that handle stress well so that when they invariably face challenges, they're able to handle those well and and, and not, not succumb 
to pressure and, and sort of pancake or or make poor decisions or, or struggle with with motivation to tackle the things that they face. And the science is pretty clear on this: that the way that people develop both uh, this internal motivation and the ability to handle adversity is to handle adversity. And the model on this is is actually based on rats, where they they take these rat pups and they stress them, they, and then they come back to mom or dad and they get and they they get licked and groomed, which is kind of the rat equivalent of of of, of hugging, and 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 they're there there. And so when we as parents want to, and so those rats rather when they, when they uh, when they experience that repeatedly of of having a stressor and then coming back uh, and are nurtured. Um, not having mom or dad do things for them, but just nurture and say, "Hey, you know, you've got this." They they developed these research described them as as California laid back rats, so these rats that were remarkably <laughs> capable of handling adversity, and then they could see what this looked like down the line. Uh, and the, the rat equivalent of resiliency or of courage is they put them in a big cage and say, "Do they stay in the corners?" Or do they go out in the middle where all the fun stuff is, where the food is, where the wheels are, and all the adventures yeah. are? And so what we want for our kids is that they develop the sense of, you know, hashtag I've got this, right? Of, of they have some kind of mild or moderate challenge, and they're left to do it, you know, on their own, with mom or dad nearby if need be, saying, mm-hmm. hey, you've got this, and if it doesn't go well, you know, I have confidence you're going to make a good decision. And if it doesn't go well, I have confidence that you're going to figure that out too. And I'm here to help you whenever you want me. I'll play consultant. I'll, I'll, I'll cheer you from the sidelines. I'll, I'll keep an eye on you if you want me to. Right. But I won't make decisions for you that you're capable of making for yourself because if I do that, it doesn't make you stronger. It makes you weaker. You know, there's two and things that, that pop into my mind as you're saying yeah. that. One of them is it, it seems in a way like the analogy of vaccines is that Very much you, so. you get that's, that's, a little a little dose of trouble so that your system learns how to deal with it, and then you can. But if you never get it, you're going to get the the whole chicken pox or mumps or whatever it is uh, because your body never really had a chance to deal with it before. But then the, the, the other question is, I think there's a lot of talk about animal models and things like that, and it's interesting to talk about rats getting the, uh, sure. the, the licking equivalent, but... Is there such a thing as an animal that that does what we do, which is jump in and do stuff for their pups? Boy, you know, I'm 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 not sure. Uh, I mean, certainly there are there there are primates and and there are all sorts of animals that have uh, you know protective instincts of their young, but that's a different issue. What I what I what I what I I, I think the difference here is. What the the phenomenon that you've described is not me or my wife jumping in to save our children in the middle of in the middle of a problem. In many ways, the the bigger challenge is that we are anticipating problems, and we are jumping in in front of them before they even happen. Ah, okay. You, you know what I'm saying? And 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 so, so I really, I mean, I don't know. A lot. I don't know if there's other literature that's done on other animals. A lot of things they do with rats, of course, because you can do terrible things to rats that are wrong to do to, to other animals. Right. Um, but what you know, what we're, what the the brain science shows that um, when you experience, as you, as you put it, a, you know, a mild stressor and then you handle it, it's like an inoculation. What it's really doing is training the prefrontal cortex 
to have a sense of resiliency, a sense of control, and it therefore modulates or controls the amygdala. And so in the presence of a stressor, when you're in the, the freeze, fight, or flight response, and you go, oh, my goodness, the, you know, and the amygdala fires, the prefrontal cortex that's had the, that, that has handled well a past stressor comes in and says, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, we've got this, and here's why. And that's what we want is that incrementally we, we have little stresses, little stressors, little stressors, and we develop the ability to handle big stresses because, as, as, you know, as much as I give this talk, I, I, as much as I would like to be able to protect my kids from everything and, and put a cape around them, there's also the possibility that I'm coming home from a talk at a school and on the way home I get run over by a cement truck and no more daddy, I'm done, I'm over, right? And what I would dearly hope is that my kids, though they'd be sad for a while, would relatively short, quickly you know, pick themselves and dust themselves off and say, okay, well, well I'm, I, I can handle this. Right. It, it seems like there's, there's, to slice it a little bit thinner, that there's something even more subtle going on there that besides not giving them the, the skills or not letting them develop the skills to deal with adversity is that there's something deeper, which is that they're, they're getting a lesson that we, of course, aren't specifically telling them, and we would deny that, they ever, you know, that we ever said this, but th th we're telling them in a way that they can't do it. And there's going to be this, this second-guessing and poor self-esteem, if you want to call it that, but you know what I'm saying? That, that they're, they're going to end up sin sincerely believing that they can't do things because... They haven't had a chance to try to do it and mess well, I think, up. I think, it's a, I think it's an excellent point. I mean, I've, I've certainly had parents say things to me like, you know, we trust him to make his own decisions, but, it, but, but when we came to this, it was too important to let him do that. And to your point, the, the, the unintended message can be there. Is it seems like, you know, your, your parents have let you be in charge of your life, but when things become really important, don't trust your judgment. We know better than you do. You know, as you go forward in life, don't you know? You you really shouldn't have confidence that you're the best expert on your life. That that someone other than you is. Right, exactly. I'm I'm curious about this. Um, <clears throat> done a lot of looking at research and some research on my own, looking at the differences between fathers and mothers, and particularly with younger kids. And one of the things that the researchers have found is that dads tend to let kids who have fallen down stay there for a little bit longer than moms do before jumping in to pick them up. And, and the sense is that, they're give, that the dads are telling the kids that they can do this, that they're giving them that, that positive sense. And I'm wondering if you noticed in the research that you looked at whether there are any differences between the, uh, the way that mothers and fathers do this. Are, are, is, is one parent more likely to jump in and, and help or take over than the other? Well, there, there, there are two parts of them. One is that there are some changes in the brains of women when they have children, that there's an upturn in what we describe as hyper, what scientists, scientists describe as hypervigilance. And if you think about, you know, with, with obviously with exceptions, but on average, it's moms who are responsible for these wee little things who, as soon as they become able of, of locomotion, explore the world by finding everything they can and sticking it into their mouth. Right. Exactly, and so you 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 kind of want mom to be paying attention all the while, you know, to keep this thing safe, right? And it's amazing how many adults you see that have ten digits and two eyes and and aren't disfigured because moms have done a really good job of this. 
and but but as you, you know, and I've read in you know, some of your blogs is that is that is, is 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 we go from being you know a, a baby to a toddler and then a toddler to a child and then a child to a teen. What we need to do is is, is go from 100 percent you know paternal control, you know to to 90 percent to 80 percent you know to and 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 give um, kids more and more more and more autonomy there. And so so certainly I think there's some wiring in moms because. You know, they they've had, they've the ones who have given birth, and there's some some obviously chemical and brain changes in them. Talking with Ned Johnson, who's the co-author of the Self-Driven Child: The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Ned and want to keep uh, exploring this issue of moms and dads. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on. You know? Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle. Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Don't be that guy. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Ned Johnson, who's the co-author of The Self-Driven Child, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. Just before the break, you were talking about the differences between moms and dads, and before you were telling me about a type of scale that's used to assess that. It's something called the Yerkes-Dodson law, and it's it's it's, you, it's a bell curve. If you picture uh, an upside down U, and you have performance on the y-axis up and down, low to high, and then stress across the bottom, and you know as you get more stress, you get more focused in, and so not enough stress, you don't pay attention. Some in the middle, you know, optimal excitement or, or your perfect amount of stress, and then too much to the right, things fall apart. And on average, women are a little bit more to the left, where they need a little bit less stress to, to you know, to motivate, to, to pay attention, um, and and they a little become too much. They get overwhelmed with a little bit, a little bit more easily. And men, on on the average, uh, go the other way, where where they they oftentimes sit around and they need more stress to pay attention. Um, and so, it's very it's very typical that it, the same stressor, two different people will experience it. Differently, one person will think, "Oh my goodness," and the other person, eh, "It's not such a big deal," and and so so you can have a very typical dynamic where um, you know a kid is facing a challenge, and the dad says, "It's fine, let him let him do it," and mom's thinking has a very different movie of how this of how this is going to play out, playing in her head. Hmm. Fascinating. So the bottom line of it is, though, that we're stepping in too much and not letting the kids do their own thing. So, so I want to talk about some of the research on the other side. I think that's equally fascinating about how having more control helps you in, in a variety of ways. And I, I mean, I've, I've looked at some of the stuff, a lot of the research in here I'd never seen before, but some, some things I just finished working on a book on, on the workplace. And there's a lot of research in, in workplaces about having more control over your work environment, even where it is, what you do, what sort of furniture you have, what's on the walls, uh, that that can make you a higher performing type of employee, but you're talking about similar kinds of things that can make you a higher performing individual, whether you're an employee or not, a student. Right. I mean, from a from a motivational perspective, you know, feeling a sense of control, feeling a sense of autonomy is really important for motivation. It, it gives you more dopamine, right? It, it gives it creates more motivation. And then on the flip side, if you are really stressed in a bad situation. 
and you feel there's nothing I can do here. That's about as perfect a recipe for feeling overwhelmed as you, as you can imagine, where in a bad situation, if you feel like there's something that I can do here, you get it, it goes so much better. I mean, I have an identical twin brother who's a paramedic, and so he deals with just, I mean, gunshot wounds and heart attacks and just terrible, terrible, terrible stuff. And most people would sit there just mouths agape, having no idea what to do with this. But because of his training and because of experience, he knows, here's what I'm going to do. Now, does he save every life? Do, do, or do, are there bad things? Of course, he doesn't save every life, and there are bad outcomes. But for him and in his ability to keep his cool and do something productive, he feels a sense of control in that situation. And so in, in our work, we're trying to do everything we can to have kids feel as much control as possible. Now, the challenge, of course, is that you know, mom or dad with a much more fully developed brain and a lot more experience can picture how this is going to go. And has all, I mean, we have all kinds of ideas of, of how um, that we want to share with our kids. And, and my feeling on this and my experience with my, my son, who's now a sophomore in high school, is I'll simply ask, hey, would you like my advice on that? Or can I, can I give you a suggestion? Or, or would you like some help? And if he says, yeah, then, I, then he's got by and he's in control and he can turn that on or turn that off. If he says, no, no, I got it. Well, why in God's green earth would I then try to give someone help that they don't want? Because all he's going to do is bat it away. And so a lot of times I go, hmm. and I go, okay, great. Well, let me know if you, if you, if you want help. And, and if, if, if his assessment was wrong, almost invariably he'll circle around 20 minutes later, 40 minutes later and say, actually, Dad, could you help me with that? And it's just, it's, it's respectful. I mean, you know, in, in a workplace, we don't force help on colleagues who don't want it. That's not going to go very well. Right, right. But I think that, that part of it, especially from the dad perspective, part of how we establish feeling loved is by doing things for people. And you know, that, that's the way that we're expressing how we love them because we're going to help you do this. And, you know, it obviously doesn't play out well all the time, but the intention is good. I mean, everything that, that, a, that the dad is doing is because he's paying attention and he, and he wants the best outcome for his, right. for his daughter. Right. And, and all that, and my take on this, when I, when I, and I'll talk with parents and they'll be saying, you know, I'm really frustrated and so on and so forth. And I said, may I offer you some advice? And they'll say, sure. And I say, if you're trying to help your kid, you just say, may I offer you some advice? <laughs> Right, <laughs> and yeah. then all of a sudden they they have a control, and whether it's even just a smidgen, you know, it, it, because they feel in control, it quiets their amygdala, and mm-hmm. they don't immediately get defensive. They're in control, so we've got that the prefrontal cortex, and there and therefore we're engaging the rational part of the brains, and they're so much more likely to hear the wisdom that we have to share right. because it's been their choice about hearing it. Now, in the book, you talk about how you can help your kids establish a sense of control by, as a parent, establishing your own sense of control. Explain that, please. Well, some, one of the pieces we have in there is about being a non-anxious presence, that, that stress is contagious. I mean, if you think about it, if, you know, when you have a toddler or a baby, if you're trying to calm that child who's crying and screaming, if you yourself are stressed out, you're not going to be effective doing that. And so the more in control, the more calm that you are, the more able you are to help your kid. And the, the, I think there's a line in there where I say, if you're feeling impatient with your kid, then there's a darn good chance that your kid can also feel that you are impatient or frustrated with him. And the problem is that then the amygdala, which 
basically a threat detector, feels that, but oftentimes doesn't realize that it's just that dad's frustrated. Your child may feel that as dad's mad at me. Well, that's not mad at you. Dad's frustrated that you've got too much homework and it's 10 o'clock at night and this is going poorly and da-da-da-da-da. But you can jump to the conclusion that, that, that somehow dad's mad at me. If you can be much more calm in that situation, you'll be super helpful. My, my son is you know, a typical boy. He's lovely, but sometimes he doesn't plan as well, and he's up a little bit late, and, and I really try to push an early bedtime, and I, was, I go to bed darn early because it makes me be less anxious. And so it's 10, 15 at night, and I'm going to bed at 10 o'clock, and he comes up, and it's 10.30, and he knocks on the door, and he said, Dad, can you help me? And the first thing in my head is like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm trying to go to bed. And I said, well, sure, what's going on? Well, and he's got a bit of a mess. And I come downstairs, and he's working on his computer. And I basically just sat there. How can I help? Well, let, let me talk you through this. And I more or less sat there trying to do everything I could to keep my energy as low as possible. And I said, okay, well, let me know. And I'm here. And in many ways, I was nothing more than like a, you know, Linus's blanket mm. that, that he was feeling really stressed out by my being low energy and stress. And I'm here to help if you want me. And it turns out he didn't need my help at all, apart from yeah. he was really stressed out. And by helping to be 10% less stressed, his brain worked better. Yeah, Ned, we only have just about two minutes left, but I want you to talk yeah. quickly about some of the other things that are important in helping the kids reduce the stress and anxiety and, and things like Get, helping them get you know, sleep better. Sure. Sure. I mean, there, there are a bunch of things. I mean, the one important thing to think about stress is that it's cumulative, right? When kids are overwhelmed by stress and you ask them to point it out, they, they almost feel silly because there's rarely is there one thing that's overwhelming. It's a little bit here and a little bit there. And so, among other things, being really well-rested helps a ton because when you're sleep-deprived, your amygdala is 60% more reactive, and then that, that hashtag, I've got a problem-solving part of your brain is kind of nowhere to be seen. So if there, if there any magic wand that we could wave, it would be the primary input for, any, for, for every kid and for every person, really, is to be well-rested. There's also endless en- uh, um, literature about, about social media and, and all these things that, that add to a cognitive load, that the more you're having to think about all sorts of things, you know, besides just what you're trying to attend to, it's really stressful to try to pay attention, you know, to 15 different directions. Is there a website where people can get more information from on this? Oh, yeah, sure. The, our website is theselfdrivenchild.com. Theselfdrivenchild.com. What else, what's going on there? Oh, it's a little bit about the, the book. Uh, it launches at the beginning of February, uh, How to Reach Us, um, you know, advice we have to offer. We're, uh, we're still building it out mostly. For now, it's, uh, it's, it's how to get in touch with us and how, to, and how to lay your hands on the book. Okay. Ned Johnson's the co-author of The Self-Driven Child, just like the website, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. Ned, thanks so much for joining us. Very interesting. Thanks for having me. A special thanks to Navy Federal Credit Union for supporting today's show. They've been proudly serving the armed forces, veterans, and their families for over 80 years, federally insured by NCUA. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.